Hey everyone, this is Shan and welcome to the Brain Cash podcast. We are here because we sense the urgency of healing, growth and change. Our goal with this company and podcast is to bring you tools and inspirations so we together can create a flourishing world both inwardly and outwardly for ourselves and generations to come. My guest for today is Penny Norman. Penny is a narcissistic recovery counselor and a coach with an extensive experience with the issue both personal and professional. She is extremely courageous and authentic in her approach. has overcome over 40 years of narcissistic abuse transformed herself from a victim to a thriver and is here to educate us all on this subject matter on the podcast we define narcissism we discuss the cause and the effect and the healing modalities what to do if you are dating one and much more so without further delay let's jump right into this rabbit hole Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And thank you. To give kind of context, and also we'll get to know like uh, why you are doing what you are doing. I'm like very obsessed with why people do what they do. Uh, the reasons behind that, I I think like uh, that tells a lot about the person. and like also it it will give kind of a it will set the context for the rest of the conversation so yeah I, also i was uh, reading uh, the mail you sended me and the line which hit me was this thing turning your pain into purpose so it was a beautiful phrase and i would love to start with your story okay so um the topic that i'm passionate about is um narcissism or rather helping those who've been abused by a narcissist so i grew up as the fourth of four children it was my brother who was the hero and then three daughters and i was basically the invisible child because i was the youngest I learned very early on um, my survival technique was to um, stay under the radar to try to appease the people that were would maybe attack me or scream at me or shout. So my mother, being the narcissist, was um, unfortunately she terrified me. She would rage a lot. She would throw things through windows. She would be drunk and embarrass me to death. Um, so my life growing up at home was filled with fear. um i was so because i was the baby my siblings presumed incorrectly that i was getting more love than everybody else from mommy and daddy me more daddy was not there because he worked very hard mom was <laughs> not there purely because she shouldn't have had kids um after that in my teens i remember being very aware of the fact that i felt like i didn't fit in anywhere um i felt depressed and i wasn't sure why um I was was the kind of person that had one-on-one friendships and not peer groups and as a teenager they all sort of fitted in with each other and were all comfortable and I always felt out like I didn't really belong I didn't have any I didn't know who I was I had no real idea of my identity and um at that sort of fragile state I met um the man that was to become my husband um he was this really good-looking man he was very well built he was um little twinkly blue eyes he was kind of everything i could have dreamed of and for some strange reason he seemed attracted to me uh, a little dowdy me who i felt had nothing to offer to the world or to anybody and he was just supremely charming he did what narcissists do which is um the first stage of narcissism is always love bombing um the love bombing phase they do so well that um the purpose of it is to get you completely madly besotted in love with them so that they have you hooked for good and they have secured their narcissistic supply a person who will tell them how lovely they are and they're so fantastic and whatever whatever so it's always kind of involves a whole lot of charming behavior opening doors lighting cigarettes if you're a smoker doing whatever they do 
But a psychologist told us once that charm is a learned skill, that no average man is just charming. They actually learn how to be charming. And it's part of the sort of picking up the woman thing. And then the other scary thing they do, which you're very unaware of with this insidious form of abuse, is what they're doing when you're falling in love with them is they're mirroring your good character traits. So the things that mm. I lack about me, for instance, so is a kind, empathetic, caring, loving person. They see those good character traits and then all they have to do is mirror your character traits and you think you've met your soulmate. And then of course you mm. fall hook, hook, land and sink and you can't believe your luck. But actually the truth of the matter is you're falling in love with a fantasized version of you. So, because oh. with the narcissist, with the narcissist, they don't really exist. There's nothing there. Quote Sam Vaknin, who is a narcissist, just speaks on YouTube. He says there's really nothing there. They just mirror your good coach tracks and then it sort of reflect them back to you. But nonetheless, so I was with him for seven years. Um, the next phase after love bombing is devalue. They start devaluing you. So everything they told you was fabulous about you. You know, you're amazing. You're going places. You're intelligent. Suddenly it starts telling you that actually, you know, you're not so fabulous after all. Please don't think you're this, that, and the next thing. In fact, you pretty much, whatever. They start demeaning, belittling, verbally abusing, embarrassing, humiliating. Um, man was a woman as it. So anyway, this whole devalue stage, carries on and you can't really understand what's going on because they would have said, you know, I love that outfit. And the next time you wear it, they say, why are you dressed like that? You know, so you get completely and utterly confused. You can't seem to please them. Then after the devalue they do, it's what they call a discard. So discarding is when um, they either discard you emotionally as in they're kind of just, they've gotten bored of you now. The, 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 the whole sort of chemistry that made them be quite excited about this relationship. Mm. They get bored very easily. So the discard can either just be that they become emotionally absent and they're not really there for you, or they discard you for real and they actually find new supply. So generally they go out and they have an affair with somebody else and then you are discarded. You don't understand what you did wrong to deserve the discard. And then after the discard, if they do leave, for instance, um, then what they do is they hoover you back in again. Uh, let's assume they leave and then the lady they left for is um, no longer interested or she's seen straight through him and she's already dumped him. Then they start coming back to you and they know exactly which little buttons to push and what to say in order to get you come running back. And they're so effective with the lies they tell and what they call future faking. So they, they will tell you, you know, you're the only one for me. I've always loved you. I will never mm -hmm. love anybody else. The truth of the matter is they never loved us in the beginning, but we so desperately want to hear that. So they lie about the fact that they've loved us. They lie that they will change. They lie that they really didn't mean to do whatever they did, have an affair or who knows. And then they promise you anything you want. So if you're a young girl and you want kids and a marriage, then they'll say, I do want to marry you. I do want a family. And because mm. you so desperately do want those things, you fall back into it. So that's the hoovering. So there's those four things. So in my life, um, yes, I was um, charmed, picked up by this man. I Before I knew it, because you don't know it's happening. Um, I had already had two children by the time I yeah, I found out about the first affair. And that for me, when I went into marriage, that was going to be my deal breaker. If he betrays me, um, that's, that's it. But by the time they do that, you've got two children, you don't have finances, you're kind of so enmeshed in the relationship, you can't get out anyway. And then I was too scared to go ahead with the divorce for numerous reasons, but one of which is I thought he would perhaps take my children uh, or get custody of my children. Through, again, lies, deceit, um, saying that I'm an incompetent mother, all those kinds of things. Anyway, so I stayed, and I only managed to leave after 32 years of marriage, um, which is insane. And people at that stage yeah. said, why would, you, why would you want to do that? You've got a lovely life, and he's, um, you know, you travel, you've got all these luxurious things. And I always used to say this one thing, which is, I guess, the quality of a codependent person. I used to say, all I want to know is... All I want is to be loved the side of eternity. I want to know what it feels like for a man to genuinely love me the side of eternity. Mm. Anyway, and I was told that I was too old to ever find that love anyway, but <laughs> God is good and that's not true. That's not so I've, been, I've been out for six years and it's the best thing I ever did. <laughs> yeah. What I understand is like uh, narcissists are 
very attuned to understand the lacks of the person like what the person is lacking in their life and they kind of very manipulatively they try to fill that void and because they have this understanding and they fill that void so well that you kind of start loving them and start caring about them and you get attached and then they also use that attachment against you like in the future right yeah absolutely i mean the character traits of a narcissist are you know basically control manipulation those are the tactics they um isolate you so that you have no friends you have no they isolate you from family in fact they isolate you from anybody that perceive might see through their facade their mask to see the true person behind that so that when the abuse happens as i said it's the kind of abuse you can't put your finger on um you don't have anybody to validate that that is abuse so you believe the lies the gaslighting all that sort of thing when they tell you that you um you to blame for everything they shift the guilt they um you keep thinking well you know obviously i must be doing something wrong um mm. they manage to kind of brainwash you actually through this whole sometimes kind sometimes cruel you never actually know what to expect behavior and yeah. then the whole isolation is part of the control so if you have no other friends they can control your movements they can control everything you do yeah. um yeah it's uh, when you said you asked the question kind of where it comes from the narcissist as well as the codependent or the people pleasing person they both have the same kind of um trauma and shame in their upbringing in their uh, family or upbringing and that trauma and shame leads them to adopt a survival mechanism but the people pleaser adopts the survival mechanism of giving and you know being there and trying to be nice and loving mm-hmm. and and talk to these people and the narcissist adopts the mechanism of um doing things that actually give him attention but they're not necessarily good things so the narcissist starts out as the bully at school and that little child that bullies people you know to get attention get noticed um is the kid that ends up as the narcissistic um the damaging adult yeah so when i was thinking about this conversation with you i was like from a listener's point of view there can be two types of people one who after listening to this podcast realize that they are associated or living with a narcissist and another one who realizes like i am a narcissist <laughs> so in some point of time uh, in the conversation we have to address both both of these cases but before that that what fascinated me like one of the thing which fascinated me when it comes to your story is this thing like many of us end up marrying or dating the person who is like one of our fucked up parent right so what are your thoughts on that like why this happens and like Okay, so that's that's actually interesting because, um, in effect, the person that I was hurt by the most was my mother, right? Yeah. I mean, the first time she asked me how my day was or had anything to do with me, and in, in fact, showed any interest, I was sixteen, and I remember just being so fed up. I got I got up from the kitchen table and just left, and I thought, if you haven't cared up to now, I'm quite sure you don't care now either. Okay. But I ended up marrying my mother. Exactly, actually, she was a very abusive, a very abusive um, woman. What do you call it? He was a womanizer. What is a woman that 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 goes for men? I don't know. Or whatever that word is. <laughs> Opposite of womanizer. Anyway, um, so it's very flirtatious. Um, I guess um, drank far too much. Um, embarrassed me to death. He, I, I married my mother. The, the exact same character traits. Um, when I was going to uh, counseling for instance, there's something called imago therapy. I don't know if you've heard of imago therapy, no. but it, it it talks about the this no. whole sort of the imaging thing of um, we choose a partner that that 
So if our strengths are kindness and things, we choose a partner who doesn't have kindness and things as strengths, but they might be um, confident, um, assertive, the things that we lack. So we choose partners that we, we can then either learn from one another or we can re-wound each other. And when you've chosen a narcissist, unfortunately, yeah. the learning from one another doesn't happen. You just re-wound, re-wound, re-wound. So it's supposed to be that you, yeah. you are the, part, the person I marry. Okay, you're the narcissist. I have a lot of empathy. A narcissist has none. You should want to, okay, learn about those well, I suppose you could call it your shadow sides or your deficits of personality character, you know, the parts you don't have. And then I, as an empathic person, could teach you how to be empathic. But you see, this is all providing the person wants to learn and change. When you said people listening to this podcast could either say, um, my partner or whatever, my mother, my father, my friend, my boss might yeah. be a narcissist, or they might sit there and say, I think I'm a narcissist. But I don't know if that assumption is even correct because a narcissist doesn't have that much self-awareness to pick mm -hmm. up on the fact that hey this sounds like me because they they kind of they think they're doing great they think they're pretty perfect they've got this all down pat in fact mm -hmm. i doubt if a narcissist will even listen to this program do you see what i mean that's the point because because they don't have they 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 are not the people that go to for therapy the people that go for therapy are the people that they damage so we end up in therapy trying to find out what am I doing wrong? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so broken? Why can't I stop no. this? You know, how, what did I do to cause it? You know, so yeah, so that's that's why we select um the person who and I think what we're trying to do is recreate or try to perhaps um amend what's the word? Um make it better. In other words, the relationship I didn't have with my mother, I could mm. repair it by 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 doing better with the person that's exactly is my mother, you know, and then have a better relationship. So you try to sort of sort it out, perhaps. I don't think it is that though, personally. I think it's because we are used to being treated in that way. I think it's because our core beliefs is that we are unworthy of love. We are not good enough. We basically unlovable. We, we are filled with shame. Um, we, mm. a, we find a person who um, somehow makes us feel this is what we deserve. We need to be treated like this. So, uh, although it's uncomfortable, it's kind of like the only love we can receive because by yeah. being in a dysfunctional family exposed to so much abuse, you eventually actually believe that abuse is love, which is terribly weird. But mm. I couldn't receive healthy love as a youngster. Um, uh, there was a, a little a, a guy that really was totally in love with me. He was 16. Uh, he was so nice to me. I didn't know what to do with him. I had to just say, no, I can't do this. I have to break this off because it was too, I just felt like, gosh, there's something horribly wrong with him. Can't he see how yeah. flawed and awful I am? <laughs> so you actually can't have a healthy relationship. That's the other thing until you healed up. Right. One, one part can be like uh, finding the missing part of yourself. We get trapped by that. And another one can be what I'm understanding is finding this level of comfort, even that thing is experientially not that pleasant, but mm -hmm. it's comfortable. Like comfortable is not pleasantness. Comfortable is which you are familiar with, right? So, mm -hmm. so you're familiar with uh, the attitudes and behavior of one of your parents. And so for some reason you seek out that comfort level and another thing i think is because we have this kind of uh, kind of a parent who was in word one in one word i can just say fucked up is <laughs> for some reason so <laughs> we like they didn't in our childhood they didn't equip us with this kind of self-esteem in ourselves so we lack a lot of things in ourselves so we kind of tend to not stretch ourselves like that enough and we don't think like we deserve so, like a better version of the partner right like we think like we deserve that only as you said 
like what we got we deserved that so there's nothing like i i am this kind of person and this thing happens to me it's kind of part of my identity right yeah. this kind of, like i'm just uh, blabbering i'm just kind of trying to find out like why like like these there, there are these two scenarios right why people choose to live with narcissists and another one is like why people become narcissistic in the first place right so let's address that like how do you define a narcissist and like like in one sentence or in like kind of a depot is the definition of a narcissist how how a person can distinguish like what is kind of so called normal behavior and what is a narcissistic behavior because i think in when we think about these traits of a narcissist we all have like in one way or the other these narcissistic traits and you can just go on anybody's facebook or instagram profile and just read the captions and just see the pictures flaunting their flaunting like their parties or their cars or things about them how cool they are posting motivational quotes and what not so we are all in one way or another kind of this obsessively what they call self obsess and this is one definition of narcissist which i have found so can you give me a little bit clarity on that how can i distinguish yeah so um Um, uh, different people, the kind of experts on narcissism, emphasize different parts about narcissism. So there's the one I can't remember his name, and he always talks about the three E's. So he says that a narcissist is easily explained by the use of the three E's. The one is exploitation. They always exploit you because um, that's what they do. They have a, they, they feel yeah. that they have a right to do whatever they want. They're kind of above the law. Um, the other E is they are totally entitled. So they feel entitled to do whatever they want, whatever they want. Their, their life is all about them. So yeah. they are completely entitled. You as their partner have no entitlement to do anything. The other thing is an empathy deficit. If you have, if you're the person who So let's assume your partner goes out, they say, I'm going to come back and take you for a wonderful dinner, I'll be back at seven, and they don't come back at all, and they go out drinking with their friends, or whatever it is. Um, and then the next day, you try to explain, that was really hurtful. You know, when you do that to me, that really hurts. And we expect them to say something like, I'm so sorry, that was really inconsiderate of me. I'm so sorry. The one thing about a narcissist is, first of all, they never take accountability. Second of all, they never say sorry unless it's to meet their agenda, but it's not, it's not genuine. And the third thing is that because they have zero empathy, there's no point even trying to explain that they caused you pain because they don't care. Now, for a person like, so a person who's an empath, a person who's, you know, like has a need to be needed, um, We don't understand that anybody doesn't understand the concept that you have to be a reasonable human being. You can't just let people down and feel nothing, you know. Mm. But then, of course, the other things about they've got grandiosity. They're they tend to be arrogant. You know, they are they're very very jealous people. They can often slip into victim mode. Um, they're manipulative. They're controlling. They're condescending. Um, this thing about life is always all about them. So it's always their way or the highway. They don't consider anybody else. They seem to think that they're kind of special, you know, so they, if they go to a restaurant, they expect to be sort of served, get special treatment. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, you know, the things that I just observed with the narcissists I was involved with was they don't listen, but they don't listen because they're not interested. And I think one of the core needs of a human to be healthy, and we were talking earlier uh, about mental health, is cool. people need to be known. And if that person is not prepared to actually try to understand who you are, who the essence of you are, mm -hmm. it makes them feel, and of course, for me, it triggered the fact that I didn't exist. I was this invisible child. And if somebody doesn't hear you, or they walk out the room in the middle of a sentence, or pick up their phone while you're talking, you know, all of that is kind of like, it's just dismissive. Um, you're not their priority at all. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's very difficult, all those things. Of course, then there's also the raging thing, there's narcissistic rage. They, um, because of the gaslighting where they're sometimes kind and sometimes cruel and they, 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 they deny things all the time, you eventually doubt your perception of reality. 
to doubt yeah. everything about yourself. They actually managed to reduce you to a shell of who you were. Uh, that eventually, like this gibbering wreck who's anxious, depressed, confused, mm. frustrated, heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why I was like looking for, like, why I said, like, give me some clarities because, like, uh, what we tend to do is uh, it's like a, it's like reading horoscopes, right? When you get these statements and you start looking for these things out there you tend to find them, right? It's kind of a confirmation bias, which we have. So thank you so much for that. And like you mentioned trauma earlier, right? So what is the role of trauma in that? Like uh, uh, for one instance, like there's this adage, right? Hurt people, hurt people. So I am sensing like these people might have some kind of trauma in their own life. Those people who are narcissists. And then there's another part which you deal with a lot, which is the inflicted trauma, right? Healing that trauma. So what is the role of trauma in this whole scenario? You know, I think the thing about um, narcissism and codependency is we both come from the same thing, trauma and shame. So there's a whole lot of trauma in them, inevitably, in fact, they've gone through a whole lot of difficulties, they really have, they've gone through a whole lot of pain, shame, difficulties, loss, whatever, abuse, maybe sexual abuse when they're growing up, all sorts of things. The reality is that they just chose a different survival mechanism, okay? But yeah. the truth of the matter is their pain is real, their trauma is real, but they deal with it differently. So they wear a mask, they pretend to be okay and somebody else, and mm. um, that's the way they deal with life, but I found it must be exhausting to me because they can never live authentically. They yeah. have, have taken on the facade so well that they, they possibly believe they are authentic and they're quite like who they are, if you know what I mean, but deep down there's a very desperate insecurity. Um, for for the other person, the, 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 um, so your question was the, the trauma. Okay, so, so then for the, for the other person who takes on the people-pleasing thing, lots of trauma in our backgrounds too, but now, you, um, the, the narcissist and the empath or the codependent are like moths to a flame. They attract each other because the codependent person has a desperate need to be needed and to give love. And they, they're people who give and give and give. And then the narcissist is a taker. So they take mm. and take and take. So they kind of see that in each other. You know, we'll be a great fit because I can give and you can just take everything I've got to give and we'll be great. Yeah. They don't everyone has the problems. But the trauma comes in where um, the person who's doing all the giving realizes very quickly that this is not love. So I might love you, but the love is not reciprocated. Um, mm. All the kind of um, coercive control abuses, like the, anything other than physical abuse, which we can list as um, the emotional abuse, the, um, the sexual abuse, the financial abuse, the spiritual abuse, okay. all those things. Um, I think more killing than physical abuse. I sometimes used to wish that man would hit me so I could go and take a photograph and, you know, people would understand what abuse was. But mm -hmm. on the 1st of June in America, they do something called um, World, Narcissistic, World Narcissistic Abuse Awareness Day. And okay. their slogan is, if my wounds were visible. And I think that's the problem. And so there's so much trauma attached with being abused by a narcissist. You're getting traumatized all the time. You're going mm. from, you actually get stuck in that fight, flight, freeze mode. You get stuck there. And the cortisol and the adrenaline is actually harming you mentally and physically. It's harming your body as well. So, so that was an incredible trauma. And we all end up with, most of us, CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, because there's not just one dramatic uh, traumatic event. It's just numerous. There's so many traumatic events. In fact, half of them you block out because it's too much to um, to deal with. So there's really a lot of trauma involved. Right. So what if like someone realizes that I'm living with a narcissist? So what now? Like what's the protocol? What should he or she do? 
Okay, so so initially what happens is you don't even realize that these forms of abuse that I was mentioned, the control manipulation, instead of all this, you don't know that that is abuse. You actually just think the person has a problem. Because we're the kind of people who want to fix people, we try to fix people. Okay. Mm -hmm. But eventually somebody will say to you, I think your partner or your friend or your boss is actually a narcissist. Once you heard the word narcissist and you Google it and you go and you see that, that they actually tick off most of the boxes, then you kind of realize, gosh, narcissism is a thing because before mm. that you don't know that narcissism is a thing. Wow. But in answer, in answer yeah. to your question, what to do if I'm in with a narcissist, once you realize that it's a thing and flip them with a narcissist, you've got to actually um, make a lot of choices. The first thing to do is to educate yourself as much as you possibly can because the more you know about them, the more things start making sense. The more you can start saying, gosh, it's not me, it's crazy. Uh, other people get blamed all the time too. This is awful. And you've got to, it's all about awareness. And then it's about acceptance, which is about basically, am I going to accept the situation, suck it up and stay? Or am I going to accept the fact that they'll never change and go or do something about it? Okay. And that, yeah. the last thing is action. So it's uh, the awareness is the most important part. So it's education, education, education. The um, mm. acceptance, radical acceptance, and then action, making a decision. How, to, how do I say no to this abuse? So, like, uh... On your website, like uh, you, like it explains itself in a way, like you say, like you facilitate the healing and empowerment of narcissistic abuse survivor and victims, right? So, what it looks like, what are the healing modalities you use, uh, how you deal with your clients in the first place when they come to you. Yeah, so all my clients, every client arrives at a different place of their journey. Some of them are just completely confused, like what is this? Is this abuse? And then you have to educate. Um, some of them arrive there and they go, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. Uh, for me, that's an exciting moment. You need to get to the place where you're saying, I'm done. If you can say, I'm done, you mm -hmm. can actually use that anger and that sort of um, absolute, I don't know, we get to a place where we so incensed that we've allowed this to happen. And then you start working with them to help them um, take the steps necessary to, to think about getting out of the relationship. But they also have to understand and learn about who they are and what their character traits are. So their, their weaknesses. So we allow the abuse, which we don't know we're doing because we have very weak boundaries. We um, forgive far too much. We um, keep on meeting other people's needs instead of our own. We don't have a clue of what self-love is. We don't know how to love ourselves. We depend on external validation. So if somebody else tells me I'm fabulous, then I'm fabulous. But I don't see that I'm fabulous at all because my self-esteem is very low. Mm -hmm. So yes, you have to take them to that. And when, when they've kind of got a grasp of what's going on and understanding, then you can teach them how to deal with anxiety and give them different methodologies to actually calm down their nervous system. You can give them different things to do regarding mindfulness. You can explain that you've got to get out of your head, stop ruminating, get into your body, start moving. So there's lots of different kind of healing methodologies that you can incorporate um, within the coaching. So I take them through a personal development program, actually. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm doing the personal development work, I also work with their own unique situations because they're all the same, but slightly different. So everyone needs something else. And then the most devastating thing is you work with a client who says, I'm done, I'm out of here. They, they get out. They've even you know, got the new place to stay. And the next time you see them, they say, no, he's changed. I'm going back. And they do because he successfully managed to hoover them back in. And then unfortunately, it takes between seven to nine attempts to get away from an abusive relationship. And that's the truth. So it can be a bit soul destroying. Um, some of the trauma healing methodologies I've heard, I haven't done myself. I've tried to subject myself and put myself um, through a lot of them so that I know, I know what I'm talking about. But the one that I haven't done is EMDR, which is apparently very good. But I've heard a lot of people say that after a session, they're completely whacked. They've got a headache that, you know, it seems like it takes a long time. For me personally, I've been through so much trauma in my life that I just like quiet healing things. And so I, mm. I advocate things like something called havening. So havening is a self-soothing thing. And it just involves three movements, which is this to your elbow and this stroking your face like a, a mother would soothe the child and then your hand like this. 
Self-soothing, I think, is beautiful because we as codependent people, one of our character flaws is we don't know how to love ourselves. When you start to do the havening thing, it kind of automatically, it feels like you're giving yourself affection. Many of us are desperately in need of affection. But what it does is the self-soothing, it puts your brain into the delta phase. So it's, it's where you almost about to pop off to sleep. And so scientifically, I read last night, someone said it's not scientific at all, but the one lady I heard talk who is a scientist said, that at that delta state, your actual cells in the body are able to release the trauma that's stored in the cells. And I just found that together with something like self-soothing breath work, where you can just really calm down and activate that polyvagal um, nerve again, so just bring about calm, so breath work. Things like, um, I'm not good at meditation unless it's a guided meditation. Some people are better at that, at that than me. So I can do tapping, which is EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is like acupressure. I don't know if you've done tapping, but it actually works great. That's also they speak you through meditation, which I like. Um, something that's really quick is BWRT. Um, that can only be done by a psychologist, though, not a coach. And um, that also works very, very well to release um, long-held traumatic memories. Um, so I advocate for things like, um, because we have no concept of self-love, you've got to understand, you've got to try to understand what, how you can be loving to yourself, okay? So things like mindfulness, going for a walk barefoot on the grass and becoming aware of the things around you, you know, grounding yourself, using all your senses to become aware. Um, to just things like um, literally stopping and smelling the roses. So, so looking around and being aware of the fact that this, beautiful place we live in has got so many wonderful things to be grateful for. Um, so, but I also love, I like to dance, I like to sing. I find when you're singing, you're, not, you're sort of getting out of your brain and that rumination, obsessive thinking, and you're focusing on the song and the melody and you can kind of hear your voice. And that fascinates me because I always wonder how on earth we can sing. It's a fascinating thing. But just by thinking, you can reach another note. It's, it's fascinates me, but then many things fascinate me. So, but I also like to dance and I like free form movement. And then I think to me, laughter um, is the best medicine ever. So I advocate that they go out with friends who've got high energy, who are really nice to be around, whose company they love, who love to be with them, not people that are going to criticize them and tell them how awful they are. Yeah. And then um, to really laugh, you know, to just go to, go to a comedy show, you know, find a funny movie, just laugh because laughter is so good because it releases all the happy hormones, you yeah. know. So, the other thing that, you know, often people are living on their own. So when you talk about self-soothing, you can do this, just this sort of hugging yourself thing, you know, you can just really hug yourself like this. Um, they say that um, oxytocin, which is the love or the bonding hormone, is released after like a 20-second hug or something. Yeah. Um, and then you're assuming you're hugging someone else, right? But they say that it, that it does the same thing if you hug yourself. So 20 seconds of hugging yourself, and you can actually release that sort of happy hormone, which is great. You know, there's just lots of things. If you smile, you can actually change the way you think. If you change your posture, you can change state. There's a lot of ways that we can take back control of the of our lives and make our lives better. You know, we've actually given up control to somebody else. We have not prioritized our needs. We don't ever sit down and say, what do I need? What do I want? It's always about everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so talking about healing, uh, I have to help them to heal from the character traits that have got them into trouble. So if you have no boundaries, uh, try to put boundaries in place. If you are really bad, it's, um, you know, if you forgive too, too often, if you, if you um, have this desperate need to give, it's kind of a pathology, you've got to actually understand that it should be a give and take. So you've got to sort of take the breaks of see where you're coming from and um, acknowledge that we have good and bad character traits, um, but we got ourselves into trouble because we actually allowed the abuse. We thought we were deserving of it. You've got to build your self-esteem. You've got to get your confidence back. In a narcissistic relationship, they, 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 you actually become so nothing that you then have to re-identify who you are. You forget who you are altogether. So part of the healing thing is to kind of say, what did you used to love? What were you passionate about? Let's get you in touch with that again. Start doing those things. And you see, when they come to you as a coach counselor, they actually say to you, um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who I am and I don't know what to do. Um, literally, they're actually like in a place of absolute 
confusion and limbo. So, you know, depending on what state they're in when they come, you deal with yeah. different things according to their specific needs, you know. Yeah. One of the things uh, which I have learned doing this, these podcasts on mental health, like specifically on trauma, and maybe this can be beneficial for the listener is that like what trauma does is trauma creates a disconnect within you and within the like you and the rest of the world like with nature and with other human beings and with yourself even right so you don't feel the sense of connection and love inside of you and it fills you with a lot of negative emotions and negative frequencies so what i find like what is the common thing between these healing modalities right it it can be anything like you mentioned a lot of things and what i see like like it can be anything and there can be different things for, for different people but on the base what you're trying to do you're trying to regain that connection which you lost right whether it's like for example for me like i find nature walks very soothing right and purposeless nature walks there is no purpose to that I just go in nature and feel the connection and just have a pleasant time with mother earth so that works good for me and i don't know what it does i don't know the science behind it i also uh, but i'm aware like there is a lot of science behind that but you don't have to know right you don't have to know the science and all that there it's this observation and sometimes common sense you can function from that so i do that very instinctively and as you mentioned like people can do different things but at the base i think like do you think like uh, it's the way of regaining that connection or is it like or i am wrong it's something else no personally i think you're absolutely right i think we um you see i think the problem is you you your whole focus becomes on the problem okay so the problem is this and i'm being abused and why this and why that and why me and did i cause it and how do i control it and how do i stop it and you become so sort of frantically obsessed with trying to sort out the problem or, or knowing how to get out of it, or what to do, or how to change it, or how can I control it? Because in as much as a narcissist is controlling, a codependent person is equally as controlling, but we control so that we can get our needs met. So if, if my spouse is not loving me the way I need to be loved, I will try to shift things around or, or, or appeal to him to do things differently so that my needs get met. So we're still sort of obsessed with trying to control. So we've got to let go of controlling. We also have to let go of the, you know, I read a lovely statement the other day. I think it was some Zen quote, and it said, uh, if you understand life is just the way it is, if you don't understand life is just the way it is. And I think that to me is the essence of the problem. We spend our lives trying to, really get our head around it and understand and in the end what <laughs> what does it matter if we understand if we don't don't it's still the same we have to act on it and do something so what you have to do is take your focus off the problem and you're going to say right i can't do anything about this problem the only person that changes me and when you start focusing on the ways to change me such that i have a different experience of life that's yeah. when for me first of all you're getting you sort of kind of the, the focus on the bed is making you anxious all the time, okay? It's making mm. you feel out of control, whatever. When you start taking focus of that and saying, what can I do about me? That immediately is sort of releasing that pressure. And then you're able to say, right, which things are things that are going to heal me? And like I say, if you go and walk in nature and you look around and you look around and you think, oh my word, this place is absolutely stunning. And you take a deep breath and you live a life of gratitude. Um, right. That for me is incredibly healing. It's, it's a peaceful mm. space. So for me, I find that water is very soothing. So if I'm feeling like really frazzled or triggered or not in a good place, I go and find somewhere that's beautiful with big trees and greenery and flowing yeah. water. And there's something about water. I don't know. I think it's um, inherent in us. Maybe it's me as a Christian, I believe there's streams mm. of living water that flow through us. But I also think that water is, that's what keeps everything alive, right? So it's like, 
anyway, uh, so yes, I think that like you're saying, it's, a, it's about being present in the moment. If you're present in this moment, like we're talking right now, the only thing we're thinking about is what's being said, right? So I can't be present in the moment and then agonizing about my child at the same time. So we need to focus on always living in the present and, and just being aware that, you know, that we have no other moments. We can't change the past. We can't we can't live in fear of the future or get any guilt of the past, whatever. We have to live in the moment. And that's the way to set ourselves yeah. free is to understand mm -hmm. that we actually have no control. But I can try and change me. So I can try and say to myself, what did you use to love? And then go and do it. So we tend not to do those things. When you're in a narcissistic relationship, they're very jealous if you have friends. They hate it if you're happy. So if you seem to be laughing in company, you're kind of like punished, you know, chastised for that, you know, that's not funny, why are you laughing? Yeah. But when you get out and you realize that laughter is healing and I love to make people laugh and that's something that I like to do and you start doing again the things that are the essence of the sort of wonderful little person you used to be, mm. then you can start living authentically. And I think as soon as we drop that survival mode, that survival mechanism, the survival pattern, I don't know what you call it, and we can start being who we were purposed to be, yeah. that then, as soon as you can live into your life authentically, risking that people might not like you for who you really are, then you've got, it's just immense freedom. I found that that freedom is healing. Since you're uh, talking about narcissism, what I've realized, like uh, a lot of our problems, like what's the root cause of our problems right as a society we are uh, in one way or the another we are kind of we live in this kind of narcissistic society mm. as i said like you can just open social media or any use ch news channel to see that like how it goes so so this issue like when it comes to nature walks or this uh, going by side like these huge river bodies or oceans right so what thing one thing what these huge environments does and for me and for uh, which is it's kind of a realization that how insignificant you are and how tiny you are right because a lot of people who are traumatic and a lot of people who are depressed, they don't get on the root cause, right? Uh, that a lot of, like the root of the problem is this sense of self-importance, how he did that to me or how mm -hmm. like uh, that happened to me, right? And it should never be happened to me. My identity got kind of uh, dismantled in a way, right? So this meanness, this huge attachment with meanness, right? For example, uh, since we have started this podcast, right? We might have made a lot of mistakes. We might have said few wrong things or fumbled here and there. But if I get so obsessed with what happened in the past, so I'll never produce the next podcast because it will create a kind of a minute trauma in me that, oh, you fucked up back there. So let's spend the rest of your life avoiding the similar circumstances, right? And that will start creating a lot of suffering. So mm -hmm. when we, and it, it doesn't have to be nature walk, right? You can just go upstairs and you can see this infinite sky, right? And you can see like how insignificant we are. So I think like this sense of significance we have like as a society and so maintaining this insignificance and still at the same time have a uh, great self-esteem or building this self-esteem, right? This is the challenge, I think, which is in front of us as parents or as elders or in ourselves as well. So what are your thoughts on that? Like how, how you create this balance between the two? Um, 
you know, I think. I'm sorry, I ask my, very long questions. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. I'm just thinking uh, because of my particular journey. Okay, so now, you know, you mentioned 40 years. It's not 40 years, it's my entire life because I grew up in this dysfunctional narcissistic home and then married and it was, it was my entire life. So my whole life was that, was was sort of heartache, misery, hard, trying to work things out, trying to work things out, okay? Um, but I was always aware that there was a creator and to me um, that the source of my power is love, okay? So now, if you consider that... <laughs> that love is energy, then love is available to all of us, right? Do you agree? So, so love is everywhere. And it's an energy that we can either we can either uh, be open to and absorb and then and then you know take in and be able to give out again, or it's something that we can be so obsessed with all our own little troubles, as you say, and just not even be a conduit for love. Okay. Um, but for me, I used to say before I die, I want to live in a home that sees the sunset. Because somehow, and maybe I'm a little Jewish, because the Jewish people, their day starts at sunset. That's the beginning of the day, right? But for me, there's something so magnificent about a sunset, so powerful, so different, so creative. I think we were created to create. So at birth, we born these miraculous, amazing breathing beings. We started off as an egg and a sperm and nothing, and we end up with noses that breathe and eyes and ears. I'm so aware of the fact that um, people say that we don't see miracles, but we are miracle. Every one of us is a miracle. And we start off with wonder, you know, and awe. So to actually get back to a state of mental health, I think you have to get back to that little person who is in awe of this incredible place we live in, of watching sunsets, of watching the waves break, of being aware of the sea sand between, between your toes. You know, so it's all about awe and wonder, and it's all about appreciation and, and, and gratitude and how, you know, how do we do that? To me, you have to, um, if you can turn your pain and your journey, your painful journey into one of purpose where you can actually see that what you're doing is in alignment with your values for one, but it's mm -hmm. also in alignment with what you believe about why we're here, then, um, then what you do, first of all, you're passionate about what you do. And second of all, you, there's no arrogance to what you do because it's what you were called to do. It's what you were purposed to do. So although my purpose to me happened, you know, so late, other people are kind of going, that's ridiculous. Why did you have to yeah. wait until you were so old? That's not the point. But I believe that that was the plan and the purpose because if I hadn't have been through that many years, I wouldn't yeah. have had sufficient knowledge and understanding to impart that, right? But if you, if you are living life according to your purpose, there's a humility that isn't there. If you're living life to gain uh, materialistic wealth, to be seen, to be the special, to be the one on stage, to be the, getting the accolades. Um, so humility is something that's incredibly important. And I think if you live a life of love, if you can be trying to just help others and be loving and kind and help people to heal, and that's genuinely your purpose, not your mission to be seen and praised for, then I think um, you, can make it, you can stop the... The narcissistic tendency. So, so some people might get on that on board with, I don't know, psychology or something, and then they realize that um, everybody thinks they're pretty fabulous, and then it goes to their head, and then they start the humility is not really there anymore. And then they start mm. believing themselves to be something different. Then it becomes, ah, oh, how much money can we make? And I think there's a lot of materialism that goes with narcissistic personality. So mm. generally, the person yeah. with very high traits is the person who holds high-powered jobs, they're the CEOs, they're the president, they're the, the, whoever they are, they're the people with high-powered jobs, you know, that, that, that people, get, they get seen and they get praised, but they also earn a lot of money, and that's part of their whole image, because they want society to think that that is, so it's all right, I think we live in a very materialistic society, and I get kind of scolded all the time, you know, told off, mm. because why is your mission not to make money? And unfortunately, that's never been my drive. <laughs> so some of us are driven to be millionaires, and others of us are driven to be relational. And I've always been more relational. And I think if you're relational, then you kind of care more about people. Uh, sometimes I wonder why on earth I chose that route because relationships are impossibly difficult. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah. what drives me. That's what motivates me. Trying to understand people. 
but it's kind of money driven things. So I don't you know how to how to create society is it's all about people's morals, their values. Do they have any anymore? Do they have the same kind of intent? What is their intent? Why are we here? Are we here to destroy this earth? Are we here to try to find our oneness and our connectivity? Like to say, we're all connected in the end. Um, and we've lost connection so radically. But the sadness about being in an abusive relationship, or actually anybody who's been traumatized or brought up in a child uh, dysfunctional home, is that we lose connection with ourselves. And if we can't connect with me, then I'm lost. I, I'm completely lost. I don't know him at all. Mm. And that's part of the, I think, inner child work and in, uh, the, the, that love and connection. We, we're always trying to find love and connection through others, but it actually has to start within. And I think to me, anyway, that the love and connection within is also a, a part of the divinity. So you're connecting with, with source, with um, love, with that pure energy, that mm. energy that, that can change the world. But unfortunately, I don't, I don't, you know, everybody has different motives. Everyone has different values. Yeah. Whether we can change society or not, I don't know. But I think it's back to that thing about the, um, you must have heard the thing about the guy walking on the beach and then there was one starfish and there was a whole lot of, he threw one back and his son said, well, why bother? And he said, well, it mattered to that one. And I think that's the point. If we can just persistently try to affect our little circle, you know, or, or further, like with the podcast that you're doing, you're going to be reaching further. Yeah. I think that's, that's the beauty of living is to be, um, giving back. Um, I think so if more people would give back, yeah. we would change our society. <laughs> yeah. All, all I would, like, whatever you said, like, it was so beautiful. And one should go back and listen to that again. Uh, all I would add to that is when you're healing, so this over-obsession with meaning and purpose in your life, it's kind of way it's stemming from like, what's the root of that? Like, why are you looking for meaning and purpose in your life? Because it's, you are suffering. Like it's because you're trying to escape that suffering. Right. So if you weren't suffering, you wouldn't be looking for purpose in life. Like many people give examples of, children like when they when children come in this world they have like they cry obviously so people say they come in pain no the pain is kind of very instinctive in nature it's kind of a primal pain it's not the pain of suffering of the pain of identity getting hurt right so this whole problem of meaning and purpose occurs when you start to suffer when you start to feel overly important Right. Because I am so important, so I might have some purpose and meaning in this life, right? So yeah, it has its place. Uh, but it, what I think like it should be kept in its right place. Uh, you don't have to like have, like everybody should not have, like somebody, if you don't find any meaning or purpose or calling in life, just create it. it don't have to be feel bad that I am not sensing any kind of purpose. You can create it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we can. So my last question, like, uh, what will be your message to the world? Um, yeah, I think uh, my whole sort of epiphany is that um, it's not about being guilt tripped by people telling you that what by people judging you. So it's not about us judging or competing with one another. It's about us um, trying to live a life of love. That for me is the, the most important thing. So, so whatever you're trying to do within each day, if you can do something loving or kind or something that actually lifts someone else's spirits, that's going to help mm. their mental health one. So if you can just smile at somebody, a smile is contagious. If you can I don't know, make somebody laugh, if you can just be kind, do something kind, if you can just live, do something nice for somebody else, that will really help them. So it's all about... Um, I said this, the, most, the most beautiful quote that I ever heard was um, being listened to is so close to being loved. One can hardly tell the difference. For me, that struck home so radically because I had never been listened to in my entire life, not as a child, not as a wife. And if we can just hear people, if we can actually be available to listen. You really should come more often on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> with the intent of understanding would be great. <laughs> I'll yeah. be listening to you. <laughs> can, I, can I just read you something? This is what I love about yeah, Maya Angelou. You can end the podcast with that. Okay, Maya Angelou. I don't know if you know her. She's a poet. She, she's passed away. But she went through all sorts of trouble growing up. And she wrote this. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I rise. And I just think that's so beautiful. And it's got so much hope so and so much promise. Incredibly fun. She's, she's beautiful, right? So quickly tell them yeah. like where they can find you. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> coza, But it's the number two, courage number coza, Or info at courage2change.coza. And that's my narcissistic abuse Um Support group, my nurses is degree support group, NASG. Yeah. Amazing. So, all right, guys, until next time, stay strong, stay stubborn, and keep on climbing. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thank thank you. you for coming mm-hmm. on the show. Thanks.